The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. I got a text from a buddy of mine today, and it said, he's such a fucking asshole. He goes, you know, I know you're turning 31 tomorrow. And I said, yeah, because don't you wish you were turning 21? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking awesome. And then he didn't talk to me the rest of the day. Just let that thought fester. Welcome to issue 201 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new comic day audio digest for the week this time of July 25th, 2018. Wait, is today the 25th? Yes. It's today. It's new comic day. Happy new comic day, July 25th, 2018. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. What's up, you dudes? What's up, Curtis? I really like your energy today, Curtis. I'm feeling really jacked. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I drank a bunch of coffee. It's the coffee and the Coca-Cola that you're sipping on. And it's Coke heavy. I never go Coke light just so you guys know it's good Coke to know. heavy only if you're gonna mail loose soda to curtis at our p.o box for yeah. super skull you're gonna want to send coke heavy yes thank uh, you i'm also here with marcus schwimmer hello nicholas marcus schwimmer is gonna be 31 years old tomorrow happy by the time this airs marcus will be 31 years old marcus yeah don't you wish that you were turning 21 years old i certainly do wish that i was turning 21 but do you, you know, feel your age I, 30 you know what this year, this 30 year, I've had some stuff happen in my life and I'm feeling it. But that being said, I'm blessed to have both you dudes in my life. And that makes it a pretty good 31. Man, that makes it really hard to make fun of you now. I want to say, though, you just cruised right through 30. I feel like it was hashtag journey to 30 like a week ago. Yep. Man, that where was, did it all go? Where does the time go? Because it just goes faster. Yeah, it does it. You just die faster. Oh, uh, it just goes faster yep. all the time, buddy. Every yep. single year just goes a little bit faster. And now, and now all of a sudden you're 31. Throw a concussion in there. It goes faster still. I believe it. But you know what, Nick? Last weekend, you and I played a lawn game together. A lawn game. What is this game called? It's called Patonk. Patonk. You throw metal balls at a, in a gravel court, mm-hmm. and it was the perfect dry run for our retirement strategy. Go on. Like I, I'm more excited to get old now because I know every day that I work, yes. every day I collect income, I'm one day closer to not having to work anymore and to be able to meet you at the Patonk Field every morning at 9 o'clock. To yeah. have coffee, talk about the day, listen to NPR and a little portable radio. Maybe they'll be implanted in our heads by then. God, and I just wish. throw these metal balls. Yeah, that's th- the, And that's the dream. So Patonk is like bocce ball. Yes, have we talked about, I feel like I've talked about Patonk on the podcast before. I don't think you have. No, I don't think you ever have. It's like you throw a little green ball called the cochonet. And it's like mm. tiny, little guy. Little tiny, little like green a ping guy. ping pong ball. And you throw it out onto the court, and then you got this giant metal, fist-sized metal ball. And they're they're pretty heavy. They're heavy. Maybe like a, what, two pounds they're maybe? They're significantly heavy. Yeah. I don't know how to do weight. Me but, neither. But they're heavy. And you throw your big metal ball at the little green ball, and you try to just get it really close. It's like bocce ball. Yeah. Patonk means feet together, because when you throw the ball, your feet have to be touching each other. There's no running start. You can't get a running start. Yeah. But you're right. It is an activity for the elderly. Mm. And we are getting juiced about it. it I love it. five minutes of being together and playing this game to be like, do we buy a set of this? Yeah. Like, do we order it and we're looking on our phones like, 70 bucks, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? I, c- I can see you building a, a Patonk course in oh, your yard at course. some point. I recommend Patonk. I also recommend Patonk. I can heartily recommend it. Do you recommend 
Honky Tonk Patonka Tonk, though. De- describe to me what that is, please. So that's this. That's a song. Yep. Written, uh, is it Billy? Would you just sing the first few bars for me? <laughs> honky Tonk Patonka Tonk in a sound in the truck in me. It does sound familiar I when you sing it, though. I got a dog in my pocket and I'm going <laughs> to town and gonna get a beer with my friends. Oh, it's a good song. That's great. Yeah. I love like that, that song, actually. Yeah, Billy Ray Cyrus, I think, did that song. <laughs> I think you're right, actually. Hey, I got some other news before we get into the show proper. Okay. Yeah. We're going to take the month of August off. Finally. There will not be a weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest for the month of August. Not from us three. Not from us three. Now, we're going to drop some stuff in the feed. We're not going to leave you lonesome. Don't get too lonesome. We're going to put in some interviews, some classic interviews. Yeah. We're going to have maybe a couple of new ones are going to drop. There will be stuff in the feed roughly every single week. But for the first time in 201 episodes, for the first time in four plus years, we are going to take a little bit of a break from the podcast. It's vacay time. It's vacay time. I already got my new shorts for vacay time. Uh Uh-huh. I got some new flippy flops. Yes. And I'm ready to play Patonk with you for one month straight. Wow. Can we talk about shorts for one second? Yeah. I don't wear a lot of shorts. You don't. Because I am a short man. It's hard to get shorts. You something funny? You've beat me to the joke. It's fine. Don't worry about it. No, you got something to say? say. (laughs) I'm not defensive. Do I sound defensive? (laughs) A good friend of mine, said, and I, I was explaining this to her, and she said, that's bullshit. Yeah, anybody can just turn some jeans into some shorts, right. into mm. the perfect length short. You my, decide. Because my thing is like, it's actually hard to buy shorts for the short man. It's a tough thing to. It's a tough thing to find. They yeah. might be too short, or yes. probably maybe I'm saying too long or too long. Yeah. But she says you can turn any just jean shorts. She says it's always jean shorts. They look good on everybody, and I dispute no. that. You gotta no, be careful with don't. jean shorts. Okay, thank you. I feel I much a, better. I had a buddy who wore jean shorts for six years. Uh huh. Summer, winter, fall, all the seasons, jean shorts. Yes. And I knew this dude for a chunk of his life. And we would tell him, be like, yo, bro, jean shorts, not a great look. Finally, (laughs) finally, he got a girlfriend, a sweet, beautiful young lady. And she was like, we're going to go shopping. He put on his first pair of non-jean shorts and was like, I don't know why I've been wearing jean shorts so long. These are much more comfortable. Jeans, denim is not made for shorts. It's it not really, it's not a good look on everybody. I would submit mm-hmm. that it's not a good look on everybody. I think it, some people can rock it. Yes. But it's not for everybody. Not dudes. All right, I feel better about it now. Yeah. Thank I, you for, thank you for uh, justifying I'm going to say, and I, I, I'm totally average height. I'm just going to say that right now. Mm-hmm. I don't, I own one pair of shorts and I've owned that pair of shorts since 1990. And they got a Pearl Jam pants on, patch on them. Yeah, fuck yeah. And they're jeans. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. you own a pair of jean shorts. Because you couldn't find a better jean. I could not. And uh, Wait, I Is that Pearl Jam? It is, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, you did it. Uh, it doesn't matter. We got to move on. Let's do some in the news. Fuck yeah. The Spiel de Yaris winners were announced this week. What's what the? that? The Spiel de Yaris is Game of the Year in German. Hey. It was, uh, this is, it's the most prestigious award in all of board games. It is. Across it's, the industry. It's a big deal. Nothing else really comes close. Founded in 1979, it's awarded by German-speaking board game critics. This, this, is an, this is important. It is, because I'm going to make an argument for why I think this isn't the biggest board game award in the world anymore. I can't wait. 
for that argument. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it encompasses games that were released specifically in Germany over the preceding 12 months. But it's, an, it's a worldwide industry. All these games also came out. Well, that's not true, but uh, almost all of them came out in the United States. They're playing a lot of the stuff that's releasing worldwide, right? Yes. And German, German, the country of German, has a <laughs> pretty intense board game culture. This they is do. where like the modern board game was invented in yes. a lot of ways. And lots of American companies, that's where they get a lot of their content. They're looking to see what's happening, being developed and designed in Germany. And then they're licensing it for other markets. Most definitely. For a long time, every game that we were playing and liking for a decade, it was all just stuff that was designed and published in Germany. And then an American company would eventually distribute it in the United States. Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan being the prime example of this thing. So here's the criteria on which these games are uh, evaluated. You've got game concept, which is like originality. Playability, game value. You've got rule structure, composition, clearness, clearness, comprehensibility. I love this. I didn't realize that this was one of the criteria. But how is it to learn the game? Is the game learnable? We all hate a shitty rule book. You got. You have to hate a shitty rule book. It doesn't yeah. matter how good your game is if you can't figure out how to play it. Yeah. And you can't get down on it. Layout, the box, the board, the rules, the the aesthetic, and then the design, the functionality, the worksmanship. These are the criteria upon which these games. Are judged. So this, the main prize is usually given for family games. Yes. Historically, and almost always every year. I don't know if it's a family game, but an accessible game. And a they, game you can sit down with people who maybe are gamers and maybe aren't. Yep. Sit down, learn the rules somewhat quickly, and have a good time. Mostly everybody's going to find something to like That's exactly in this right. game. Yep. Ideally, it's something that even, you know, everybody's going to like, even your, you know, your gamer gamers. But it, it should be, and it probably will be, even by the criteria set out by these judges, it's something for families. It's right. something for that like everybody can play together. So stuff like CCGs, complex games, war games, that kind of stuff is usually not considered for the big prize. That being said, what was the game of the year this year? Azul! Azul! This is a game by Michael Kreisling. Keesling. Keesling. Mm-hmm. This is a great game. We love this game uh, in the store. This is you're an artisanal kind of like tile layer in Portugal. Yeah, and you're just collecting tiles on your turn. And you're, you've got everybody's got their own board, and they're matching up tiles, and then you score them. You slide them over and make a cool mosaic, a tile mosaic. Mm-hmm. It's a great looking game. It's a great looking game. It's a great game. And it, it hits all these criteria, right? It's super. You can teach somebody how to play in maybe five, ten minutes yep. at most. It's immediately understandable to any person, a younger person, somebody who's never played games. Deep gamers like it because there's some cool strategy. So I think it hits all these these, these nods, right? I mean, the design of it is stellar, totally. right? Marcus, have so, you played this game? Not yet. I think this is a, the, a perfect Spiel de Yaris winner. Yeah, I think it's not the it's not the most amazing. It didn't blow my mind more than anything I played this year, but I played it a bunch of times. It's really fun. It's really accessible. It's a great choice. Yeah, is, is it good? So sometimes with Spiel des Jahres winners, I think like, is it a good game to get people who don't board game? Yes. into board gaming. Yes, because it seems like the Spiel des Jahres, if there's like a fun new mechanic that's very accessible and very entertaining, or there's a game that is just simply a great walk-in game for new board gamers, that has a better shot of winning the spiel. And those make the best selections also. Sure. I think. So there is also the Connoisseur Game of the Year Award, the Kenner Spiel, Diaris. The real one. This one went to... Quaxalber von Quidenberg. And what it means is Potion Maker's... Of of Quidelberg, Quidelberg the city. Okay. Yes. So in the U.S., the working title for it is going to be like Brewmaster or something like that. 
Go brew yourself. Yeah, Strange Brew, I think, is the actual working title. But essentially, it's a push-your-luck game where you're trying to get components and make brews for the people of this town during a market. This has not come out in the United States yet. Of course not. Yeah. Which doesn't happen every year, but usually there's a there's a, a good One chunk of these games that like yeah. we just don't even recognize. The children's game of the year went to Funkelschatz, which is a dragon's breath. I don't know why I have to use that accent. I like it, but I, it just feels right, you know. Funkelschatz, <laughs> which uh, dragon's breath is the name of this game, devi- uh, designed by Lena and Gunter Burkhart. Yeah, put out by Haba, who like always seems to win the young kids. Yeah. Game award every year. That is a publisher of board games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of dexterity stuff from these guys, which is a lot of fun. And then they mix just a little bit of gamey components in there. So it's cool for kids because you're like this one, you're like removing ice rings with your papa dragon and then collecting the jewels as baby dragons. So it looks like something that even I would play, but you could definitely get like babies to play it, which is really rad. So Haba, those guys just always rock. There was a special prize awarded this year. What? So this baffled me. What is a Spiel des Jahres special prize? This is maybe my favorite part of the Spiel des Jahres is the special prize. They haven't actually given one out in 10 years. That's mm. probably why I don't know about it. Which is kind of interesting. So the the last time an award was given out for a special prize, was it was for Space Alert. Oh, yeah. The game came out a grip ago. came out in 2008, Okay, as it were, which is a Vlada Shabato game. It's a great game. I have still, to this day, never played Space Alert! Exclamation point. It's fantastic. The year before that, Agricola won the award, and that game was a huge deal when it released. Shadows Over Camelot won it uh, one year also. So the Spiel des Jahres Awards are weird, and before they had this Connoisseurs Award, this because this is a relatively new thing, there wasn't really a place for complex games. These like big crazy games that if you are into the hobby, you know that there's something cool about this game. You know sure. that this is like deserving of wider recognition. But the Spiel des Jahres is not the award for those games. It's an award for family games. That's really what it kind of comes. Yeah, down it's to. like for the broader hobby, right? Yeah. yeah. So for a long time, these special prizes, whenever they would decide to give them out, like that was the award to watch out for. For me, because you knew it was going to be something weird or it was going to be something that like had a little bit more teeth. You know what I mean? So, for a long time, this award was just acknowledged for a beautiful game. They Which, would just they would just say, this game doesn't fit into any of our categories, but it's a beautiful game, and we're, we're recognizing it. And they just mean that across levels, right? That's game mechanics, that's, that's aesthetic, or... Yeah, and so, eventually, they would kind of, like, uh, fold that into something a little more specific. Like, for a literary game, they, they made up a, the special prize for literary game. They right. gave it to Lord of the Rings. Or New Game Worlds, which they gave to Space Alert. So, you gotta give... These dudes credit, the Spiel des dudes credit, they are constantly, like, tweaking this thing. They are constantly trying to make the award relevant and trying to, like, make it work better for the hobby and keep it fresh, which I think is kind of cool. That's pretty excellent. So do you think the special prize this year, it went to Pandemic Legacy 2? It went to Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Season 2. Do you, it's just acknowledging the the legacy system. It's got to be it, right? And it, supposedly it was a great game. It supposedly, you know, sure. especially the second season in particular is supposed to have like... So what is Pandemic Legacy? Can anybody break that yeah, down Yeah, Pandemic me? Legacy is a game where every time you play it, you modify the board so that when you come back to play that game again, something is permanently changed and the story continues. And Pandemic is about a, Solving, a, a world health crisis. Yeah. There are diseases breaking out across the world. There's a cooperative game that's been around for a very long time yes. and then they added those mechanics you were talking about right and the legacy system has exploded but i don't has a legacy game won a spiel des because scythe did not win last year did it 
Oh, no, Scythe isn't Legacy yet. The also, Legacy oh, Scythe is coming. Sorry, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, right. yeah I don't I, think no, so. There's, there's not been a Legacy mm-hmm. game. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, so maybe, you're, maybe that's it. Maybe they're just trying to acknowledge this like new thing in board games. Because Season uh, 1 of Pandemic Legacy is currently sitting on Board Game Geek as the number one rated game in the world. Yep. Ooh, it, it jumped back up. Yeah. Oh, what, did something else take the spot? Gloomhaven. Did Gloomhaven take the spot? For a while, okay, so. Okay, well, it's been one and two for a right really on. long time. I, I could be off, though. Anyway, that's Spiel Yaris. Cool beans. Can't cool. wait to play all them games. Those beans are if, cool. If they come to the United States, yeah, absolutely. This yeah. is my complaint. And they always will. Once they win the award, then they always do. Yeah, or, but it, the, the only thing about this is it, it stirs up a lot of excitement, and that's really great, but sometimes to get these German games over to the United States, it can be another six months, five months, mm-hmm. to get some of these bigger German games over to the United States. Well, it's not all about us, buddy. It's not all about the United We're the, States. We're one of the largest board game markets <laughs> in the entire world All of now. Europe's a pretty big board I'm game sure market, it is, too. But, you know, it would be nice if stores could capitalize on the Spiel des a little bit more, mm-hmm. capitalize on the hype. A lot of the times you can't do that because the games just haven't come out and aren't going to come out for a while. The folks that buy those games, though, don't care about when the award is announced. You don't think? No. I think it's folks that are coming in that have played Ticket to Ride and have read that that little red badge that says Spiel des Jahres on it, that that is the kind of game they should buy, and they don't care when it came out at all. That's the main audience for those games. I, I don't I don't know I don't know if people buy Ticket to Ride and see that Spiel des Jahres sticker and then 100%. go into a game shop or like oh that's another one or they they'll come in and say like do you have any Spiel des Jahres winners totally totally Man, especially I, if you're like new to the hobby yep no I'm I'm psyched I want to play Quacker dish Quacker Spiel saw some photos of the components it's got like a grab bag to it where you yes. pull out brewing components into that very very cool shall we talk about board games let's okay. Please consider donating to superskullshow.com backslash donate, a buck, five bucks. Give us some cash because we're probably going to get sued at some point. Talk we have a trash. barely any understanding of how copyright works. We are going to get sued. Your money goes a long way towards representing us in court. Superskullshow.com slash donate. Okay, now we're talking about board. Did I say board games? You did. Yeah. I was like confused. You confused uh, me. I, I, I thought having... you were moving over to seven or yeah, seventh like, continent. No. What are we doing? Let's <laughs> fucking do it. No, I misspoke. <laughs> I said dumb stuff. Do you want to talk about comic books instead? Yes. Sure. Did you guys read any comics this week at all? I read so many comics. Actually, it was kind of a medium week. It was a light release week. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I read some really. Dope stuff. Um, I have a question for you, dudes. Please. Did you read Justice League Dark that came out this week? Oh, you know we did. Refresh my memory as to what that book is about. Um, So there's a lot of weird stuff going on with magic in the DC Universe. Has been going on for a bit. Um, But essentially what's going on with Justice League Dark is Wonder Woman is trying to figure out what is going on with magic in the world. So she's trying to assemble a team to go and investigate. Something wrong with magic? A lot, a lot is wrong with like magic. It, like it's a, it's like dying, maybe. It, it's, it's dying, but it's, it's also exploding in weird ways. Like magicians who maybe aren't even magically touched will be trying to do a magic trick, and then like a demon will pop out of a hat, or ah, a fire shit. will explode all over them, or all that stuff. Just when they're doing their sleight of hand? Just when they're doing their basic card tricks. Boom, demon in your in your 
audience, no. It's no better than they deserve. It's, it's fair no enough. Worse. And one, so Wonder Woman's trying to fix it. Um, and if you are into magic in the DC universe at all, Zatanna and Constantine are the two kind of big wigs in in the DC universe. No, you're even your Doctor Fates. I bet will show up in here and you got yeah, cool looking Swamp Thing in this issue with like a crazy Swamp beard. Swamp mm-hmm. Thing looks great. Yeah, but all these people are trying to figure out, and this is kind of Fallout from Dark Knight's Metal. But I don't think you need to have read that to kind of dive into this. But Wonder Woman's putting a team together. She's putting a team together to figure out what's going on with magic. Who all's, who all's on the team? So Swamp Thing is, Zatara is... Zatanna! Zatanna, damn it, why do I keep saying Zatara? Because that's her dad. Thank you so much. Uh, Detective... Chimp! Chimp, no. Yeah, yeah Chimp, I think it's Chimp. Chimp Detective. Chimp Detective, thank you so much. It is part of the team and Swamp Thing. So, oh, and Man Bat. Yes. Don't forget about but Man a Bat. a really cool version of Man Bat. Like yep. a Man Bat who is in control of his battiness. Like Man Bat initially was a scientist yes. who de- who f- played with the science of bats too much and got a bat head. Essentially, like, so. yeah, like he injected himself with something and became He got all Man batted bat. up. Yeah, yeah, and it was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff. So he was bat mode. He's like- Totally nutsy and, and murderous. Yeah, and he hated Batman. Yeah, because he thought he was just a fellow enemy bat. Yeah, it's not really clear. But in this one, he's more of the scientist, very much playing on that Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde dynamic, which is really, really interesting. This and is very, very good. This is uh, he is a scientist. This is Man Bat wearing his belt, still no shirt. No, he, yeah. He's does got he wear a shirt on? Does he he's wear got a, a little shirt? Sweater. No, he, when he goes full bat. Yeah, when he's yeah. got full bat, he's just pants. But, he's just pants. Yes. But now he's got a belt on. He's get, he's taking it seriously. That's, <laughs> he's in the lab. He's working. Yeah. When he's in the lab, though, he has a very nice sweater. No, he's vest. got a lab coat. And, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really stood out in this book for me was when you talk about the magic of the DC universe, one place that you have to talk to, I'll talk about, is a place called the Oblivion Bar. It's a great name. It's a bar. But... It's like a secret refuge for people who are magically touched in the DC universe. It is in a pocket dimension. So essentially, once you go into the Oblivion Bar, you are somewhat out of time and space. Um, It is kind of like Switzerland during World War II. Can't fuck with the Oblivion Bar. You cannot fight in the Oblivion Bar. It doesn't matter if you and I are throwing spells at each other and our clothes are getting ripped off and uh, oil is starting to glisten our bodies. Once, if we get sucked into the oblivion bar halfway through that fight, you gotta chill out. Fight's over. Okay. No, it's 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 neutral territory. Exactly for everyone, and it has these portals that kind of pop up all over the different multiverse. So people from different universes can always pop into the oblivion bar. In in so much as if they are magically touched, mm-hmm. you can only see the portals if you are in tune with magic or with someone who is in tune with magic. Roger that. This is what is it has me thinking about is these places in comic books that are as much a character as any any living, breathing superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, the Oblivion Bar has popped up in DC comic lore since the 60s. Um, it was originally used by a guy named Nightmaster. Curtis, do you ever remember reading comics with Nightmaster in it? I, I just know his name, and, and I just yeah. watched him... 
you know, spoiler alert, die recently in Dark Knight's Metal. So, no! yeah, I was familiar-ish with the character. I love his name. Who's in charge of the night? <laughs> you know, now that Nightmaster's dead. <laughs> it's going to be anarchy. So Nightmaster uh, is a dude whose superpower is derived from his family lineage. He is uh, owns the magic sword called the Sword of Night. Thus making him, of course, the Nightmaster. Uh, his original <laughs> name was Jim Rook, and he was the lead singer of a rock and roll band called The Electrics. Fuck yes. Um, he then gets this magic power. He gets the Sword of Night, but really, what he is known for is he starts a team of magic fighters uh, called Shadow Pact, and uh, their headquarters is the Oblivion Bar. Um, so you're thinking about ma- you're thinking about neat locales. I'm thinking about locales that are so unique and interesting that they take on the characteristics of being a fully fleshed out character. So like how in Sex and the City, like New York is kind of like one of the one of the five ladies. So the, the <laughs> exactly. or like how in Friends, like New York City is like one of the friends. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the, actually, the thing that like I was in Spider Man, where like New York is like a oh New York City living, is like one of the characters in, character. in Spider Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I was thinking of, nerdy nerdy old Marcus, was any Star Trek uh, TV show. Mm-hmm. The Enterprise is a character. Of course, like it has its own features and characteristics and places and emotions, if you will. Um, and so I was wondering, do you guys have any weird comic book locations that that have touched you or that is particularly memorable that you have an affinity for? Nick, do you have any comic book locations that have touched you? I hate you know, <laughs> come to think of it, I think I do. I think I do. Uh, weird World is the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Weird World was, it's, now I have not read the original Weird World stuff. Have you read this, Curtis? Mm-mm. I'm only peripherally aware. So if I, from what I was looking at, this was invented in like the 70s. This is Doug Mensch and Mike Plug, who are two creators that I'm not familiar with. But I fell in love with Weird World because of Jason Aaron's and Mike Del Mundo's Weird World stuff. And it's just like a fantasy world filled with weird, unstable magic and like other crazy realms bleed into it. Like the Crystalium. The Crystalium. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's like this crazy little crystal zone. I don't know. There's something about it. It was just, it's so unlike anything else in the Marvel Universe. And I just love that story so much. There's a scene in that book where the fish, there's like these fish people. They're under the water, obviously, because they're fish people. Mm -hmm. But they fish out of the water. So they cast their fishing lines up into the sky, and they're like catching dragons and shit. Totally. This is what Weird World is, right? Yeah, yeah, Nothing is what it seems. Gravity is weird. Yeah. I was also thinking about, like, there's this interdimensional space fortress where all the Reed Richardses hang out. Yes. In the Jonathan Hickman run. It's not really a character. You know, it's just a dope place. It's not, yeah. It's it's not like say you know New York City and Midnight Cowboy or anything like that. No, but it's like if you so if you've ever seen Rick and Morty, there's like the Council of Ricks. (laughs) Yeah, and like the the and this will only make sense, I guess, if you've seen that show. But that's lifted whole cloth from this thing that Jonathan Hickman came up with, which is that there's infinite universes, so there are infinite Reed Richardses, and eventually a bunch of them found each other and decided to like solve all of the universe's problems, and they all hang out on this one unnamed space station. I could not find the name of it. If it has a name, I don't it know. Looks what it looks like is. an Apple store, though, right? Every time you see it, it's like everything is like clean white with silver. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, I feel like every time we see it, it's just like 
the tidiest, cleanest Apple store you've ever seen. I, I just love the idea of a council of reeds, and, and it's like that episode of Rick and Morty. They all have different hairdos. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody's one of them's got a goatee, and so one you can of like kind of tell them like, apart. Yeah, that guy's bald. That guy's got long hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but all the reeds like had badges. Yeah, like come the fuck on. That's awesome. I love <laughs> no, comic books. It's so fucking cool. What do you got, Curtis? What is any any interesting locations? I mean, there's just a million, right? I always love the Fortress of Solitude, of course, from Superman, but the one. That hit me and, and stayed with me my whole life. When I was a little kid, there was this cartoon called The Super Friends that everybody knows about. Yeah. But they did a, a season or two. I can't remember. It was called Challenge of the Super Friends. And they introduced the Legion of Doom, which uh-huh. is all the bad guys. And they were like the anti-Justice League. It was like Gorilla Grodd and Bizarro and Lex Luthor and Sinestro and all these total badasses, Cheetah and these great characters. But they had a, a fort called the uh, Hall of Doom, right? Awesome name. Hall of Doom. It looked like take t- Darth Vader's helmet and put it together so it's a big round two-sided Darth Vader helmet. Nice. And it was in a place called Slaughter Swamp. Slaughter Swamp. Slaughter Swamp, <laughs> which is awesome. It's right outside of Gotham. It's right next to Riverdale, apparently, as we learned Yeah. recently. And it was just so fucking cool. It was like all the bad guys would meet up there. I ne- There was never, for me, I hadn't seen the villains treated like this way. The good guys had all kinds of space stations and like you know, the Hall of Justice and all this cool shit. The bad guys now had like, they would focus on the bad guys and their cool base, which would be under the swamp until they called it up. It would like rise out of the swamp. So they could fly. They rode it to other planets. It was their getaway car sometimes. They'd be like getting their ass whooped by the Justice League and they would literally just call a giant Darth Vader's helmet down to scoop them up. Yeah. And it's like popped up throughout the comic book history too. Like Alex Ross loves Super Friends. So... You know, the Hall of Justice is the place where they imprison all the bad guys in Kingdom Come, or excuse me, the Hall of Doom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was in his the sequel to that Justice. So it's just been around in the background of the DCU in comics, in animated series. It's shown up in, like, Teen Titans Go. It's just everywhere. It's like this, this background Darth Vader helmet thing. It's cool. It's just so cool. And when I was a kid, I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Did they yeah. ever make a toy of it where you could like store all your bad guys? They had to have, but I, I never <laughs> saw it. Yeah. I wish they yeah. had that. Yeah. The only other thing I could think of is like in Seinfeld how like New York City is like one of the characters. What is with you in That's New York City as a character? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head. Yeah. Right. What right. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Cool. Or in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like New York City is kind of like one of the, one of the, it's like part of the- It's like the, a the, living, the, yeah, yeah, breathing yeah, yeah. Exactly. piece of the story. Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, that's my thoughts on unique Ow! places in comic books. Uh, I want to go to the Oblivion Bar. I want to hang out there. I want to drink a beer. It's a good name. It's a really good name. And the way that they present it in Justice League Dark is it's like it has all the characteristics of the very best dive bar. So Marvel has an equivalent to this, right? It's called the Bar with No Doors. Oh, yeah. Right? Where Doc- Doctor Strange and all those guys go to hang out. And you can only go there if you're a sorcerer or, an, or a magic user. But yeah, the bar with no doors. Where? Oh, that's very. Cool. How do you get there? I, I didn't know I don't about know. that. Yeah, where's it at? Yeah, Who knows. You no, know, you got to know it's somebody. In New York City. No, it's not. It's invite only. That's oh, so cool. <laughs> Man, Marvel and DC just be ripping each other off. Oh, I did totally, just constantly. Yeah, we were talking about uh, at the shop. We were talking about we we're helping someone find uh, the reading order for Infinity Gauntlet. 
And so that sent me down like this Wikipedia is like stuck in my brain. I was like after work, I was like just looking at all of this like infinity related stuff and then how it relates to like infinite crisis and like these two, they, they just rip each other. Out. You got a magic bar? Yeah. We got a magic bar. No, they happen like a year apart yeah. on our shelf. Like alphabetically we file them out. So it's just like infinity gauntlet, infinity crisis, like right there. Yeah, yeah. Like on the <laughs> shelf even. Yeah. It didn't really dawn on me till we were looking for this customer and it's like, it's, it's literally they're shit. just It's just one answers the other. Yeah. I read comics also. Thank what? you for asking. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. You bothered to read some comics? I read a book called, you guys remember Shanghai Red? We were talking about Shanghai Red one month ago. Yes, we yes. were. Great, great book. Shanghai Red is a banger. It's two issues in. I can, I'm calling it. It's a banger. You're saying full bang. It's a full bang. Wow. So this is about Molly. Moves across uh, the country with her family in a covered wagon. What are we in, like ne- late nineteenth century? I would guess so. Something yeah, right. Like that it's pioneer times. It's pioneerish. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's a little bit into the pioneer thing. Like maybe there's a few more towns. They like, definitely fucking walked there, though. Totally. They like walked to some Portland. covered wagon. Type. Yeah, they did not take a train. They, yeah, we can assume that the transcontinental railroad has not been completed. Probs not. So she had to along the way. She's got to provide for her family. It's her her mom and her sister, Molly, her mom and her sister, right? You playing Pokemon Go over there, big boy? No, I'm trying to see when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed. That's a great thing to check. So along the way, she's got to provide for them. She's got to do this work. And a lot of the times it's going to be like lumberjack work or, you know, quote unquote, colloquially known man's work, if you will, in that they're not going to hire her if she is a woman. Nope. So she takes on this different persona. She wears men's clothes. She calls herself Jack. Cuts her hair. She cuts her hair. She lives as Jack. She finds actually that she's like maybe a little bit more comfortable being Jack. Mm -hmm. Maybe it feels right. Not not just because she's providing for her family. They finally make it to Portland. She's still living as Jack, working in Portland. And she gets shanghai She gets thrown on a boat and has to work a term of service for years. Three years. Three years, Shanghai, basically as a boat slave. And Shanghai is like a real term, right? This is a thing that happened if he would, they would, you know, these rackets would run, which it's human trafficking, they'd get you drunk. Get you drunk, you and get then, conked on the head, you yep. wake up in the hold of a ship, we're already at sea, you work for us now until we say that you don't. Hey, guess what? Your term of service is up. Mal, uh, Jack, what do you think? Well, Jack decides to kill everyone on the boat and take the boat back and go back to Portland. And then it turns into a very different kind of story. It turns into just a hard-ass revenge story. Yes. And she's going to tear hell through Portland and kill everyone that shanghaied her and messed her life up. And that's exactly how it starts. And that in, in issue two, we are deep in it. She is, like, finding these dudes. She's breaking faces. She's asking them where the next guy is so that she can go break his face. Shanghai Red. And it made me think about... Revenge stories yeah. in comics. Sometimes done well, often done poorly. What is a, what's one you didn't like? I mean, all of The Punisher, pretty much. So The Punisher is one of the first things I thought of. The it Punisher is, is like all revenge. It, it's not even all revenge. It's like, you killed my family, so I'm going to kill you, which seems, you know, okay, I'll follow, I'll follow that thread, and I'm going to kill your cousin. And I'm going to kill your cousin's cousin. I'm going to kill their best friend and then their dog. And at some point, why I think right. the Punisher doesn't work is because the the a good revenge story, a really, really well-written one, is just it's always flirting with that line of like, all right, you got your revenge. Are you good? No, we need to go a little deeper until the person breaks yeah. or there's a moment of uh, retribution. 
You get right? that sweet climax. You finally yeah. they they kill their way through the thugs or whatever, and then you finally get the the person or they who's fail. ultimately responsible yeah. or they right. fail. Yeah, but and they become but it ends. the yes. monster. And right. the pro- you're right because the problem with the Punisher is that in classic comic book superhero style, she never ends. It's just always he's just punishing. Right. For, without until, end. Without yeah. end, there's no end to the punish. So it, yeah, I, I I agree with you there. That's yeah. not an ideal revenge story. There's, I mean, there's some good ones though. But it is a trope, right? It is a, it is like a classic storytelling vehicle, right? The revenge story has been around totally in, in, in film, in literature. Yep. It's uh, it's it's not going anywhere either, and that's why I was surprised because I also thought of the crow while I was reading Shanghai Red. Okay. Uh, which is very much the same. Like, dude, as soon as he comes back, he's just working his way through the gang. Yep. Crow is right. having a moment of revitalization right now, too. Is it? Oh, yeah. There's like a group of dudes who are roughly our age, maybe a little older. Crow boys. Who grew up on the crow. That's what they call them. And love the crow. And now they're kind of in their 30s, and they have a little bit of money. There's a new crow movie coming out. Ooh, is there? Oh, yeah. It seems cool. like the crow is re- Jason Momoa playing oh, the crow. Oh, fuck. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Cromoa? <laughs> That's what they call him. Yeah, crow's having a real moment. Is that yeah. real? Yeah. Crow is the shit. I'm going to say it right no, now. No, it's not. This I is the love thing. the crow. Is the crow sucks. I got a soft spot. Fucking crow. Do you? Rule, son. You kidding I think, me? I think I'm like three years too young to really be into the crow. I was definitely like, dude, he fucking rips a guitar solo like right after he comes back to yeah, life. Yeah, on the roof like, of a building. roof on a on the stormy devil's night. Yeah, oh, right. and he smashes his fucking guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. It's incredible. Uh, it's kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's not cool. Classic revenge story, though. It yep. is a classic revenge story. Hits every single one of the beats. And here's the thing. He finally goes to rest at the end. That's why it's a good revenge story, right? He murks everybody out, finally gets to the main dude, yep. murks him out, sweet release. He goes to the grave. Exactly. So Movie it over. ends. Yes. yes. And the good thing about Shanghai Red is that every time a moment of revenge happens, there what usually will kill a revenge story is the explanation of the revenge every time. Like, you killed my kid. Sure. Kill. <laughs> Next person. How dare you kill my kid? Kill. Shanghai Red breaks away from that a little bit. Yeah. And just it's just straight. What do you mean straight? There it doesn't it doesn't have a ton of the explanation behind it every single fucking time something happens. We also don't get like the life story of every single person exactly. that, that she's that she's murking here. Yep. Um, but you, re- I'm really getting a sense for Jack slash Molly in this yeah. book. You're like, it's, it's, the character is very very well filled out. That's the thing. They're spending time letting you know who Jack Molly Ma- Ma- Molly is right yeah. before you get into. Just a straight up revenge story. Yeah, and as we're going, we're not learning about the crime syndicate that she's slowly murdering to death. We're learning more about her. Like we open up with this cool letter that her mom wrote her, and that's like overlaying her, trying to put the pieces back together and figure out what happened to her family. This is a great book. Everybody should be reading Shanghai Red for real. Christopher Sabella's art too. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect for a revenge story like this. It's dark and it, it's playing with that red, that color red. Um, it, it's 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 reds, blacks, grays, yellows, and oranges essentially, yeah. and it just works so damn well. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Sean Phillips. Uh, it does got a little bit of a Sean Phillips vibe, who we know from Ed Brubaker's stuff, like crime noir yes. type. You know, Criminal is the the big book that he worked on with Ed Brubaker. And just really, time. like you're saying, using color to punch up certain the emotion of whatever scene. Lots yeah. of blues and lots of reds. Well, you, yeah, you know when violence is coming because you'll start with the yellow, and then that yellow kind of turn into an orange, and then by the time the deed is done, you know it's blacks and reds, which is really really cool. 
Did uh, Curtis, did you read any comics? I read a million comics, and uh, I read this book called X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis Number 1 this week. Ooh. So, By Ed Piscor? Yes. And Ed Piscor does it all. He colors this book. He writes it. He draws it. He's done somehow enough research to know all about these characters to do what he's doing. So let me back it up and let me explain what this this project is. So this is really the third issue of this series. He's doing three two-issue series. Six books, all day. Yes. And it's just, he's condensing 55 years of the X-Men into a chronological retelling of these characters. Yes. So, as we know, comic books never end and the story never ends. And X-Men's been going for so, so long. People write stories that happen before the first issue of X-Men, right? And they write those comics in the year 2015. So it is intense. If you want to read the X-Men, it is massively if you want to read the x-men as one cohesive narrative you in can. in like or the order of the time that it's like supposed to be happening sure. chronologically in the universe or whatever that's tough like how would you do it it's so much stuff it's crazy so this this project is so impressive in so many ways i mean it's he's just going chronologically every story and it just got me thinking about how much i love i do love big continuity we're always talking about it on this show, accessibility versus continuity, getting people in the front door. You know, some of these books are impenetrable, right? Because mm-hmm. they've just been going for so fucking long. Sure. How do you say, here, you should read Superman. Here's 1,000 comics. You can't really do it, right? But then I'm reading a book like this where it's got reading lists in the back of a million comics I should go read if I dug this. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued to do so. And it's just filling in. Like, I know a ton of this stuff because I've read... A fair amount of X-Men. Sure. Some of it I don't know. But it's just got me juiced for fucking massive continuity again. I'm a superhero kid first and foremost, right? I was, I was reared on superhero comics and then kind of came to everything else after. And I think there is room for a big, juicy 75-year continuity in comic books as long as you also don't forget that we have other people who are not interested in that. Yeah. I think... It's just wild. Like, long-form TV, people love that shit, right? Yeah. But, I mean, comics is so the longest you, form. Now, would you, if you could do it all over again, would you release X-Men the way that they did today? Oh, I, I the don't way th- the way that it's a, The way that it was originally approached and the jumping around, do you think that it, you could release it again today just like that? I don't know. That's a great question. And, and I do kind of like when they fill in stuff. When you're reading a comic, like Justice League Dark does it a couple times, where see issue what blah 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 yeah right blah blah blah, blah. Yeah. they're filling in some hole that they never talked about. I'm kind of fucking into that, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I need it chronologically per se, mm-hmm. but a hyper condensed version like this, I'd love to see this on on Batman. I definitely want to see this. I don't know that Batman would hold up as well. I wonder. I don't I know. Wonder. But I guess because Ed Piscor has taken a lot of liberties with this too. Mm-hmm. He's like smoothing out a lot of the edges. Because yes. also we're talking about dozens and dozens of writers. Like sometimes oh, the hundreds. shit did not make sense. No. Like sometimes they didn't care if it made sense or not. And he's trying to present it in a way so that it is cohesive. No, and it's time travel and it's dimension hopping yeah. and it's going to outer space and it's clones. And yes. it's holy moly, right? It's impossible. But like you say, yeah, he's totally taken a few liberties and kind of- Smooth and some shit I would out. read this treatment on other on other big continuity stuff for sure, most yeah. definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna do a deep dive on X Men. This book has got me so fired up, and this particular series starts at Giant Size X Men, which is this new one that just released today, the Second Genesis, right? When, and Giant Size X Men is the team that most modern X people 
ex-fans know, right? And this is like 1978, 1980. And uh, I just can't recommend it enough. And don't be scared of giant continuity is my takeaway. Get in there. Get crazy. Dig it. Yeah. Dig it. Comics. Also, we just got to say, if you're not caught up on Saga... 52 dropped this week. Excuse me, 54. Oh, man. Get caught up on Saga. Get caught up on Saga and fucking brace yourself, dudes. Holy shit. Whoo! Man. Marcus, do you read this book, Saga? Have you ever heard of it? Ever? <laughs> I, I I think I am 10 issues behind. Okay. I read it in trades. You read it in trades? You trade weight. I do. You I trade weight. This is actually one of the few books that I do trade weight, um, but I, I really enjoy sitting down and crunching uh, Saga in trade format. Man, I can't think of a better book month to month that that reads so well serialized. They do that cliffhanger. They do that thing where just bam, last page, get ready. Each one is an arc. Each single issue is this sweet little nugget of an arc. And in the letters page, they announce they're taking a break till next year. This is not a spoiler, but yes, there will be no saga for one year. That is fucking breaking my mind. Yeah, wild. Wild. Boom. It was a uh, comic books had an interesting week besides the, the our little nuggets of mm-hmm. wisdom mm-hmm. that we've just shared. Besides these little releases, the Eisner Awards were announced this week. It's award week. It is award week. It's awards. It's like the Oscars and the Emmys coming out at the same time. Okay. It's like the Grammys. Does it have to be that? But good. <laughs> uh, you guys made a bet. We did. Back when the nominees were announced. You guys made a bet with each other, Marcus and Curtis. Yes. The bet was, let me see if I remember correctly. Okay. The bet was that if Marcus wins, Curtis would have to go LARPing. Correct. Mm. I have a LARP picked out for you. Okay. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. And if Curtis wins, then Marcus has to buy him a uh, Manny Petty. We're going to go on a mandate. We're both going to get Manny Petty pennies on my dime. Oh, gosh. I hope that happens. Paid for by Marcus. Yeah, I think we put a dinner in there, too. I think it was like an evening. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. I we get wine? A, if you want. If you win, I'll buy you wine. This doesn't seem like much of a punishment for Marcus. <laughs> this sounds like a great evening for Marcus. I mean, Manny Petty, you have good to pay for it. Manny Petty for yeah. two dudes, you're looking at 75, 80 bucks. Wow. Oh, so man, spare no expense on this Manny Petty then. Okay. All right. Well, let's find out who won because the results are in, gentlemen. Curtis, have you pre-read these results? Be real with I me. have not. Neither have I. Okay. Oh, nice. Neither. Yep. All right, cool. Let's just go through. We, now, we didn't do all the categories. No. We did uh, just some of the, the heavy hitters. Apologies to anybody that we leave out, obviously. Best continuing series. You both picked Black Hammer. That was your primary pick. Correct. For the both of you. Mm-hmm. Black Hammer by Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormson and David Rubin. Uh, Marcus's second pick was Hawkeye. And Curtis's second pick was Monstrous by uh, Marjorie Liu. The winner of Best Continuing Series for 2018 was Monstrous. Boom. That's one for Curtis. Bang. Can you, Nick Wybar? Yeah. Can you yeah. believe that Black Hammer lost Best Continuing Series? Man. Un- Be real. So we had, of that list, Black Hammer, Giant Days, Hawkeye, Monstrous, Wicked, and Divine. Black Hammer is crazy good. It's crazy right? good. Yeah. I mean, I, that's that would have been my pick, but they didn't ask me. <laughs> Fair enough. 
But we did get Monstrous. So it's Mon- one point for Curtis. That's one point for Curtis. And we yeah, should yeah. say Monstrous is like a universally celebrated book. This book won five Eisner Awards this year. Outrageous. That's crazy. And we're going to talk about some of them in a minute as you guys continue to see the results of this. But if you're not reading Monstrous, you should read Monstrous. I got to get current on it. That book did not blow my doors off when not, I was initially reading it. Not at all. But I wonder, Curtis and I were chatting about this, and mm-hmm. he pointed out to me yesterday that, like, you know, we might not be the core audience for Monstrous. Maybe we oh. got to stretch our brains a little bit in order to see, pick up what it's putting down, and maybe there is something there that, that we're missing right on the surface. I'm going to give it another shot, but one, two, and three, I think three is where I stopped, mm-hmm. did, did not do it for me. But- you know, five Eisners, something, something's going on. Yeah, we're at twenty issues, and the and the train is not slowing down. No, no, it is, it is hot fire. Yes, so, and we should probably say so. This is the monstrous. Just if you've never heard of this before, this is the story of the Arcanics. These are like magical creatures, and the Cumea, who are this league of sorceresses, and they harvest Arcanics for their magical resources. They murder them. They like kill them and eat them. Or yeah, and, them they, up. and it was like this. We're in. The aftermath of a war. Big old and war between the two. Yes. Yeah, and Maika is this Arcanic, one of the Harvested, who passes for human because sometimes they can look like humans. And she's on a quest for revenge. It's, an, it's a revenge story hey. in some ways against these Kumea who killed her mother. So it's very influenced by manga. It's comprised, and this is really a big thing, it's comprised almost in, completely of women. These are the protagonists, the antagonists. They drive the story in every respect. And like, it's a, a big part of the book is about, the, about friendship among women. So there are not a lot of books like this on the stands. And it's also a beautiful looking book. Uh, Sana Takeda, the art is Sana Takeda, yeah. absolutely stunning. I mean, this, this book, if it's faced out on the shelf, we just sell copies because people like, I don't care what it is. Yep. It just looks like nothing else. All right, let's burn through some of these. Best limited series. Marcus and Curtis both picked Mr. Miracle. Fantastic yeah. series. Riveting. Both made the same choice. Marcus, your second pick was X-Men Grand Design, which we were just talking about. Of course. Curtis, your second pick was The Flintstones by Mark Russell. Yes. The winner was Black Panther World of Wakanda. Shit. And therein we see the flaw of this whole stupid contest. I know how we'll do it differently next year. Do uh, you? We'll rate all of them. You guys will number them in order of preference. Uh-huh. I've got a whole system. But this year, <laughs> it's going to be flawed yeah. because okay. no one wins Best Limited Series. Can mm. somebody tell me what uh, Black Panther World of Wakanda is about? Black Panther World of Wakanda is a prequel to Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, Black Panther run. It is about two of his elite guards. Oh, the Dora Milje? The Dora Milje. Um, and their relationships with one another and also kind of a bigger picture of what is going on with Wakanda. They are lovers. They are lovers. Are indeed. they not? They yeah. are. And it's pronounced Dora Milaje, you guys. Oh, get excuse it right. me. Pardon me. This is written by Roxane Gay and Yana Harvey. Roxane Gay is a fiction writer, essayist. Yana Harvey is a poet. Congratulations to those dudes. Best limited series. They were no books. No congratulations to you two, Marcus yeah. and Curtis, because you were both wrong. Womp womp. Wrong as hell. Let's go on to best new series. So the score right now is Curtis one, Marcus zip. Yes. Sucks. Best right. new series. Marcus, you chose Black Bolt by Saladin Ahmed. Yes. Curtis, you chose oh, shit. Maestros. Ooh, it's the best series of the year. And you both chose different ones this time for once in your lives. So there were no second picks. Oh, okay. The winner was Black Bolt. Yay! <laughs> Boo! I mean, it's a great comic. What's Black Bolt about? It is about uh, Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans, gets framed for a crime he did not commit, goes to an intergalactic prison 
where Ahmed really plays around with the fact that we can hear Black Bolt speak. Normally, Black Bolt cannot speak, for when he whispers words, worlds are destroyed. But in this prison, there are like power dampering things. Um, so we get to see kind of. He gets to talk a little. He gets to talk a little bit, which is really, really cool and a really good way to explore a character who is usually mute. Um, but it's asking a lot of questions about family, relationships, commitment, and also is very much a commentary on the prison system. What do you think Black Bolt sounds like? Like, what actor do you think he sounds like in your mind? When you think about him talking, John Hamm. I love John Hamm. David Schwimmer. Oh, interesting. My I, cousin. I was thinking that one. What's that one guy? Harold Howard Lovitz. What's his name? John Lovitz. John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually. Um, fun fact, though, his uh, real name is Blackagar Boltagon, Boltagon, and yeah. I just love to remember that. So it's one one, is what you're saying. Tied up. The score is one to one. I can't believe you thought Maestro was gonna win. That's amazing. The to secret me. sleeper hit. It's an incredible book. Yeah. Best humor publication. Marcus, your pick was The Flintstones by Mark Russell. Curtis, your pick was Rock Candy Mountain, the correct choice. It's uh, best And by count. that I mean I think it was the correct choice. The actual correct choice was Baking with Kafka by Tom Gold. Well. Baking with Kafka. It's a collection of not necessarily related cartoons. They were mostly featured in The Guardian in the arts and books section. It's like one-off strips that are all about like literature and technology, and usually it's like skewering literature and technology. Gold wrote Goliath. Which is a great book. Yeah, Moon Cop. He's a funny Moon man. Moon Cop is great. You're all jealous of my backpack, uh, jetpack. This yeah. dude's fucking funny as heck. But it was it better than Rock Candy Mountain? Absolutely not. No. This is the wrong no. choice, Eisner Committee. Please get your shit together. Yeah, give us a call when you it's need in the Guardian, to know what's you guys, up, guys. That's like Eisner candy. But the winner, That's, well, the winner, the winner was baking with Kafka. One one tied up. One one tied still. up. Here we go. Best writer. You guys both picked, Marcus and Curtis both mm -hmm. picked Tom King. Of course we did. But we both. talk about it all the time. We're not going to talk about Tom King today. He's a messiah. Best writer. Uh, Marcus, your second pick was Mark Russell. Curtis, your second pick was Jeff Lemire. Mark yeah. Russell getting a lot of Super Skull love. The dude's on great. His He's good. He's good. I'm not saying anything. I'm just pointing out. He's, He's really good, Nick. Good. God, guys. You are... love Snagglepuss. You, you talk are... about it all the time. I know. You guys are defensive. <laughs> so the winner, interestingly, yeah. Tom King. Okay. And Marjorie Lou. Wait, what? And a tie. Get the for Eisner does that? I can't remember the last time this Nick happened. And, I. and interestingly, this is the first time a woman has ever won the best writer award at the Eisners. Is that interesting that or is that impossible. sad? It's because there have been some really great female writers. It's hugely sad. Yeah, it's real that's a real fucking bummer. And this is this particular award for like the best writer award specifically. This is the first time a woman's been acknowledged. And it was in a tie with the dude. Mm. That's kind of a bummer, but they're both great writers. It's cool that they acknowledge both of them. That's true. That's pretty sweet. Incredible writers. That's true. So uh, the winner is no one because you both picked Tom King. Well, so I guess it, Chris, in a way you both win. That yeah. One. So we'll go two two. Fine. Right. You two, know, two. Let's, let's put some points on the board. I'll call it one one. Best writer artist is the next category. Yes. Marcus and Curtis both picked Emil Ferris. Of course we did. Oh, this process is flawed. It's deeply who, flawed. Who put this thing together? Curtis, your second pick was Jiro Taniguchi. And Marcus, your second pick was Shabute, who did like Moby Dick, Alone, Park Bench. The winner 
was Emil Ferris. Oh, of course yeah, everyone. three three baby uh, points all day. Points all, right. all day. One to one. Wow. And now we have best coloring. Best colorist. Do we need to talk about Emil Ferris? Emil Ferris is amazing. Yeah. She also won best new graphic album. She won something else that we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, it's a masterpiece. It was her first book. That's the thing. It's her debut work. It is a masterpiece right out the gate. Yeah. Um, but we know that th- th- she's going to just continue to kill it. Like, this book is amazing. We are waiting for volume two yeah. with Bated Breath. Yeah, she just literally came out of nowhere and dunked on the entire comic industry. Yep, yep, yep. Three Eisners this year. Three, three times. Best colorist. Curtis, your pick was Emil Ferris. Great color. My favorite thing is monsters. Yeah. Marcus, your pick was Ed Piscor from X Men Grand Design. The winner was Emil Ferris. No, I mean it's great. Emil Ferris is awesome. Ed Piscor totally did things with Grand Design though that should have squeaked out that win. You just love the white background, it's yellow so page. It's so fucking cool. It's so good. Yeah, and in this so issue good. too. Yeah, oh my and then God. do it some more. Oh, oh get the fuck out of here. It's so good. Phoenix has to rewrite the entirety of. The universe, seven billion years it takes her, and she does a blink, and then it goes totally white. God damn it, his coloring's so good. But Emil Ferris is better, and I totally deserve to win that. (laughs) And thus, you won the entire competition. Wait, that was it? That was the end? That's it. Hey! That's it. We did not choose from any other categories for unknown reasons. Bullshit! We're going to do this so much better next year. Okay. But this year, nevertheless- Manny Petty time, everybody. Everybody was playing by the same set of rules Yeah, That's right. Yep, you're right. Sometimes in a democracy- Curtis, Curtis wins. I, I look forward to our Manny Petties. <laughs> Should we invite Nick to document it? He doesn't get a Manny Petty because he oh. didn't get a bet. But what do we? We mean document it. What do I do? Take notes? Yeah, just take notes about our friendship and how it's growing <laughs> through the act of a Manny Petty. You can take the photos and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For our Instagram. Open doors and things like this. All right. Word. 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 Yeah. Word. Sounds nice. Curtis, congratulations. Well fought this Thank year. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I look forward to how on fleek my nails are going to look. I can't wait to get my toes did. How long's it been? Never. You've never had a pedicure? Never. I've never had a pedicure either. I hear it's pure bliss. It I'm sounds, very ticklish. I know. It sounds kind of nerve-wracking. I'm just really me. nervous because I'm very ticklish. I am not ticklish at all. What? I know. It's weird. All right. Yeah, most people hate it about me. It's like my friends are like, I'm going to go tickle you now. Because my friends always want to tickle me. And I'm like, <laughs> that has no effect on me. And they're like, fuck you. Wow, it's kinda like, that's an interesting yeah. little window we just opened into, yep. your, into your everyday. All my friends just trying to tickle me all the time. Man, life is good. <laughs> Those are the Eisners. Thank you for the Eisners. We did it. Before we part, I want we were going to do a little wrap up on a game that we talked about a long time ago. It's called Seventh Continent. Yes. And we finally finished it. 17 hours. It took a really long time to finish one scenario, one game of Seventh Continent. Yeah. 17 hours. Pro- like That's a rough approximation, but it might be like underselling it a little bit. Yeah. That's a beast. It took a really long time, and we did not know it was going to take this long. There was nothing to indicate it was going to be that long of a game. So what is uh, the pitch for Seventh Continent Market? Yeah, the pitch is it's, it's somewhat like a choose-your-own-adventure meets... Exit like the the escape room game is the way. So it's like puzzles and little Where's Waldo style. Find a thing and a thing mixed with um, some adventuring. You're in a you're in a jungle. You can go towards the river or towards the mountains. Which way do you go? Um, with the end goal of trying to solve some kind of curse that has befallen you and your adventuring companions. Yeah, you're running around this huge map. You're you're opening up and creating this massive continent. 
which has all these different terrains. There's jungle, there's snow, there's mountains, there's desert. And you're walking around this huge continent, discovering little puzzles, finding items, trying to lift this curse off of you. Correct. It's a it's an adventure on a grand scale. Too grand, one might argue. Well, what would you what do you think? What did you think of the game on measure now that we've finished finally we finished yeah. that first scenario? I'll say for the first quarter of that game, I had an absolute blast. We were hopping around a jungle, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get gear for our people using our special abilities, trying to kind of figure it all out. I remember you were completely enamored with it I was. early on. Yeah, because it was really, really fresh. I will say I think a lot of the mechanics of this game get pretty stale. Um, by the by, the time we got towards the end, I think Nick, you'll agree that the last five hours of that game, we were just trying to finish the game, and I never want an end. An, I never want to end a game like that. Mm-hmm. I never want to rush to the finish line. Right? You should enjoy it. Well, the the virtue of it and the sweetest part of it is the like discovery and exploration. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you just you need it to end. Correct. So, like, we were not trying to see what the wonders of the continent had to offer. We were trying to put this game to bed so that we could, like, maybe someday play another scenario in that same game or, God forbid, a different game. Right. So that became, we're just, like, running through the jungle. And if you're trying to just, like, beeline it through the jungle, it instantly reveals every single flaw in the game. Mm. Like you just see how tedious it is and you see how the all the seams kind of start to show. You really want to like soak it in, but it's tough. And this is the thing. How do you soak it in though? Because like you and I, uh, you know, we are two I would say fairly advanced board game players. Oh, thank we, you. We play more board games than the average person, mm-hmm. I, I would argue. Um and, and we're pretty good at it. We play some big ass fucking board games. It took us 16 hours, and, like, we made time to play this game, and it was still, it was a fucking chore by the end of it, man. I th- and I think part of it was because we didn't know how long it was going to take. Like, we would we would sit down to play, like, okay, let's just, let's try to finish this today. Yeah. And it was just not at all clear that we were even close to finishing it. So then by, like, the third or fourth play session, we're like, man, like, let's find the end of this fucking game. And that's a bad way to play any game. But it's a particularly bad way to play this game. And I so I want to blame my initial instinct is like, oh, this is our fault. This is like we were playing it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But also we were I don't know how adults with jobs and limited amount of time to play board games. Like, I don't know another way it can be played. Do you know well, what I, I mean? Was, my first instinct was to blame you both. So that seems fair. You know? And that's what I wanted to do, yeah. too. My but. counter argument to that, though, is like towards the end of the game. There was a moment where we were like, all right, like this is getting a little chory. Let's mix it up. Let's do something wild and unexpected and spontaneous. And let's just, we know where the end of the board is. Let's just mix it up. And we did a thing. Mm-hmm. And it led to a new part of the map we had never been to before. And we searched every fucking little bit of this area. And we found something that was really cool. But because we weren't on that specific curse... We couldn't go in and do that cool thing we wanted to do. Yeah, it and did so, not reward us mixing it up. Really. It didn't reward us at all. So the thing is, is like the game wants you to finish the curse that you're on, and there is very little reward for trying to explore outward. So that is the thing. That. The game does not want you to finish the curse that you're on. The game wants you to just live on this continent. Because at the end of it, right. no, seriously, because at the end of it, you are supposed to like get a bunch of your health back and then starting from where you are with the dudes that you have right there is start another curse. That is the instructions when you like reach the end of the curse. It wants you to like play this to be your forever game. 
essentially. And it wasn't for us. And so we played it wrong, but I don't know another way. I, I honestly, but I don't know another way to play it if you are actually like an adult with a job. Yeah. I, which I, is a flaw in the game. Yeah. Which is I, totally a flaw. I don't think, unless you are, you have a week off with your buddies and maybe you're, you're gone for like a long weekend. Right. That might be a way to do it. But even then, like, I would say about halfway through this game, when we had found the sweet stuff and we had done some neat stuff and we we started to see the same mechanics over and over and over again, there did get a point even before we started to beeline it where it was like, all right, I kind of feel like I've seen what this game has to offer, and now it's just kind of plug and play. Let's just get it done. I will say this game is a masterpiece of game design, though. Like, it is. I have never seen anything like it. It is yep. the way that all the pieces fit together, the way the mechanics work together, the way the map unfolds. It is a staggering piece of game design. No, I, I played a little bit, Nick. I think we had a we good... We played, like, the prologue. Yeah, maybe three-hour little yeah, session yeah. there, and it was really, really nice. I was very, very enamored with it. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, every now and then we play a lot of games, and so every now and then I'll play a game and I'll be like, you know, you get a delusion, like, I could make a game, mm-hmm. you know? It inspired me with some of its mechanics, like, hey, this could be really cool in this context, right? Um, but this is a Kickstarter game, we should say, that is never going to hit retail. Mm-hmm. It's fairly expensive, and it's just so damn big. Is there any benefit at some point for game designers to shrink their games down a little bit? Is a game like this better in smaller bites i've wondered that question you know what i mean and just make it a 30 dollar game instead of an 80 dollar game and make it a game that like you say you can finish you can play a couple of games and and maybe there's add-ons or i don't know i'm just spitballing yeah or is it like time stories right where you get the main component and there's a big chunk of the island and you kind of figure out that thing it's a 30 dollar game 35 dollar game and then if you want to take those characters that you've kind of fallen in love with you buy a $20, $30 $20, $30 expansion, you go to a new island or They're something. doing that as well. And yeah. they're all, they are opening up a web store sometime next year where, in theory, you will be able to buy this game oh, off of their website. very cool. It doesn't sound like they're going to go to distribution or whatever. So it's complicated. I am just not moved to go back and play it again. I have no urge to play this but game. But I want to, but I think about doing it, and I feel anxious. Yeah, I'm on the opposite. I mean, not the opposite end, but... Um, I don't want to play with you again. That's for sure. I that's, felt like I was done. a trooper throughout this thing. I felt like I was a trooper. What? I we, I mean, I was we, more of a trooper than you were. I don't know about that. But we got to support each other, guys. When we, you're on the cursed a, island, that's I mean, true. we have gone through some amazing board game journeys together, Nick. Yes. And uh, I feel like we've played the gambit at this point, and there was just not a, an expression. I run the gambit. Sorry. <laughs> gauntlet. It's, run the gauntlet. Whatever you want. God Keep damn going. It. Now you got me <laughs> you all. You played the. Gauntlet. Gamut? I just feel like we've played a lot of games together. Mm-hmm. And um, very, very rarely, even with games that I'm not super enthusiastic about, does it get to be as much of a chore as I felt. It I, did, I have, and I'm right there with you. I have very little desire to open up that box again. Yeah, that many hours, though, you guys have got your money. You know, that's a lot of game. Oh, totally. You know? I feel good I feel good about the yep, purchase. Put it to bed. Do you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. That's Seventh Continent. If anybody cares <laughs> for this game that's very that you probably can't play because it's like not available right now. I want to know what you guys recommend before we leave for a month. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend that is not a comic and not a board game? Marcus? Uh, I've been listening to a podcast called The Adventure Zone. It is a RPG podcast. Um, they did a big Dungeon Dragons style uh, run that was very, very popular. Not necessarily my jam. But uh, they're doing a run right now uh, called Amnesty. It's run on the Adventure or Monster of the Week RPG system. And it is some of the best 
storytelling I have ever listened to. It's a podcast. It's a podcast, yep. And you're like listening to a dungeon master and the players like play the game? Correct. Oh. But because it's Monster of the Week, which is an RPG that's really based on world building as a team, I think it lends itself to the podcast medium a lot more. They're on episode 11 or 12, um, and it has just been an absolute joy to listen to Can this Can you podcast. start with this? Yes, you should. Okay. I would argue you should start with Amnesty uh, episode one. Cool. Curtis, right what do you recommend, man? So my whole life is comics and board games, and I realize this pathetically every <laughs> week when I have to come up with a recommendo. Yeah. But uh, I've discovered the Boston Cooler. Okay. Which is a new drink okay. that I'm enjoying. So I love Verner's, the soda pop Verner's. Mm -hmm. It's like sort of a carbonated, almost like a vanilla-ish. Ginger ale? Gin no, no, it's not ginger. Oh, it's totally like a, a ginger ale. It's totally a ginger ale, right? It's like a vanilla it's right cream. On the can. Is it? Most definitely. D I don't know. Detroit classic. I don't know how flavors work. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it's really good soda. Turns out there's a blended ice cream drink. It can be blended or not, so it can be like, you've, you've heard of the root beer float, you take a scoop of vanilla ice cream, you dump some root beer on it, root beer float. Boston Cooler, same thing, but with Verner's. Oh. But you can blend this thing and make like a shake type situation out of it. The Boston Cooler, Stroh's ice cream, also from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hook it up, fucking Boston Cooler, delicious. Is yeah. this a Detroit drink named a Boston Cooler? It is. Can we get one right now? That sounds amazing. It's really, really good. And the speculation on the thing is like the Verner's bottling plant was near like Boston Street or something like this, mm, but that's turns where the out name comes from. that might not be true. Might just be no. the Boston Cooler is like kind of a universal drink for like soda pop and ice cream drinks everywhere. It's fucking apocryphal. But let's just call it. Let's just say that's the truth, and it's because like if you take um, like uh, root beer and ice cream and mix them mix them up real good, they call that a, a black cow. Yep. Oh yes, and black it's like cow. a little root beer milkshake. And so that's this if it's is, blended. That's like if you blend it. Got it. But you're this is that with Verner's. Yes. I would fuck that up right now. It's so delicious. That sounds really, really yep. good. That's where we're going after this. Nick, how about you? <laughs> there are you, he is. What are you leaving us for for a month? Um, oh, this is a weird thing to leave uh, uh, on a month. So this is, I just finished a book called The Triumph of Christianity by Bart Ehrman. And I think, Marcus, you are in the middle of this right I'm now, I'm like too. a quarter into it. You were going to recommend it last week, but we didn't do a recommendo. I was like, oh, man, you know, I've been thinking a lot about college and going back to school or what I miss about being in school. Mm -hmm. I was like, this book seems right up my alley. I am diving into it. And I not only am I reading this book, but it is like forcing me to go do other research on the Internet to yeah. uh, piece everything together. It is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's about the historical roots of Christianity. Like, how did Christianity become this, a Jewish sect that then took over and became was practiced by a billion people. Like, what are the steps in history that caused that to happen? It is not a. It's not like religiously minded one way or the other. He's not pushing an agenda. It's just here's the history that we have, and here's how we think we got here. Yeah, it is hugely fucking fascinating, and the guy is an amazing writer, and he like skates on a really amazing line of like there. You, you don't. It doesn't seem like he has an axe to grind in any way. But it's also very approachable. I highly recommend it, The Triumph of Christianity by Bart Herman. Yeah, I read a couple of reviews of this book, and you're right. He does. He doesn't. He's, he's just telling you how it went down to the best of what we know. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's pretty cool. It is fascinating. But those are our recommendos. I'm going to miss you, listeners. Yeah, I miss you guys so much. Miss you for a month. 
Enjoy your time without us. Enjoy. I'm sure that you will. <laughs> but then we're going to come back stronger, better, yeah, leaner, most definitely. cooler. Most definitely. And there's going to be stuff on the feed every week, if not almost every week. And we're going to be talking to each other during this break, and we're going to be talking about this thing that we do and what's going to happen in the future. And we're going to brainstorm, take some time to let the creative juices start flowing. So Are you oh. promising new segments, improved podcasts? I think when we come back, we're going to have some fresh ideas, and maybe they work, maybe they don't, but... Um, we're gonna we're gonna take some time to talk to each other about what we're gonna do with this thing and how cool we're gonna make it. Not me. I'm not talking to you guys for a month. Bullshit. I have Goodbye. a key to your house. Oh, shit. Well, that's gonna do it for us today. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We're also on Stitcher. You can find us lots of other places too, probably. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and our website, Super Skull Show, is how you find us. Hey, over this month, we're probably going to spend some money on this thing. We're probably going to do some cool stuff. Maybe we're going to go buy some Boston coolers for ourselves as a reward of. 200 plus episodes of Super Skull uh, do that we would really love it if you would support us in that endeavor $1 an episode $5 a month really goes a long way SuperSkullShow.com slash donate how much do you think a Boston Cooler costs? $5 you think it's 5 bucks? probably yeah 5 bucks 5 bucks you don't know you think no? no you probably I, make one for pennies I just said $5 and I regret <laughs> yeah, it immediately. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff in podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marty Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading until September. Well, I don't like mishmashing all the shit. That's why I hate Mongo. Like Mon- <laughs> yeah, Mongolian yeah. barbecue? Yeah. Go fuck yourself. I know you hate Mongo. It's a bunch Mongo. of slop in a bowl. You know? I mean, it, it's really only slop if you make it slop. I think the reason most Mongolian barbecue looks like dog shit is because people just put too much in the bowl. Well, it's because you put fucking humans in charge. No. So you, what you don't like about Mongolian barbecue is the fact that people are allowed to eat what they Do want. Do whatever the fuck you want. Fuck you, go home. I got a restaurant for you. Go the fuck home to your kitchen and fuck off. But it's kind of, you don't have to do any grocery shopping. You know, you know what goes into your food. For me, it is actually very convenient to go to Mongo because I know that there's no butter. I know that there's no cheese because I don't put it in my bowl. And you know that you can just run wild like a fucking loony, like a naked fucking escaped mental patient. Maybe.